Welcome to Eclipse podcast series about biodiversity and ecosystem services. I'm Eva Banshagi, environmental journalist. In this episode, we are talking about the effects of food production on biodiversity. Where do you buy your food? On the local farmer's market? Directly from an organic producer? In a supermarket of regional products? or in a hypermarket full of internationally produced cheese, meat or vegetables. Wherever you buy it, you have an impact on the plants and animals who live on or live nearby the agricultural lands and the waters related to these places. There's an ever-growing need for food as the planet's population is increasing. And in the same time, we are losing nature in an unprecedented way despite the fact that without nature, we can't produce our food. It's nature which provides us with soils, water, pollinators, and other important elements for production. Yet one of the centers of biodiversity loss are agricultural lands. For that reason, societies use tools to change the agricultural practices. One instrument is to make regulations that change the practices in food production. An expert group were asked by Eclipse to look at the environmental policy measures and identify how environmental regulators can support businesses to improve the outcomes for biodiversity in the food sector in Europe. One of my guests is Dr. Lisa Bieber Freudenberger, biologist, junior professor at the Department of Ecology and Natural Resources Management, Center for Development Research, University of Bonn. I asked her why these regulations are necessary, knowing that it is biodiversity on or around agricultural lands that gives the basis of farming the so-called ecosystem services to the farmer. So it's the farmer's interest to maintain biodiversity for the sake of the production. For farmers, from a purely economic point of view, it very often makes actually sense for him or for her to use harmful pesticides, large amount of fertilizers, and to do agriculture in an often very unsustainable way, uh, simply because the benefits that they are gaining from higher yields, they are outweighing the costs that they are having by them. And they are producing more in terms of yield per hectare. But of course, as you are also saying, they are also dependent on biodiversity. So the thing is that if farmers are all managing their lands like this and biodiversity would be reduced everywhere, then the farmers would have negative consequence from this loss of biodiversity. But as long as there is enough biodiversity out there somewhere else that is supporting these ecosystem services that the farmers are depending on, and as long this is happening, what is happening is that the farmers are not kind of forced to change their behavior. And this is what we call the tragedy of the commons. The biodiversity and the services that are provided by biodiversity are a common resource. So they are basically owned by everyone. They are not marketed. There is no price attached to them. And because of that, they are very often not conserved enough. They are not valued enough. And because of that, they are often diminished. When these uh, company leaders or farm leaders use regulation or they apply for a subsidy or a compensation, are they aware of the reason that these regulations were born for? I think 
farmers are very well aware that um, biodiversity is important to their production. I mean, they know that they are dependent on pollination and on soil microorganisms and so on. So it's not that they are not aware of that. It's just the current system is not really supporting a behavior that allows them actually to do biodiversity-friendly production in a cost-effective manner. As I said, from an economic point of view, it very often doesn't make sense for them. It's also not that all farmers are the same. So there are many farmers that care very deeply about biodiversity, not only because it's important for them in terms of production, but also because they are valuing biodiversity on very different levels. And then there are, of course, also others that are less attached to these values of biodiversity, and they care more about the short-term economic gains. Maybe it's also not something that we can expect from every farmer to do, to care so deeply about biodiversity, because in the end, a farm is also a business. So what I think we need to think about is how we can change the system so that it actually supports farmers in conserving biodiversity and that they are compensated enough for the services that they are providing on top of just food production. And you were mentioning the compensation schemes. I think these are very important steps into the right direction. However, I think that a lot could be still done because we're looking at the policies and they're currently also changing under the current reforms. There are changes that are actually allowing countries to reduce their environmental measures instead of improving them. So I think as long as biodiversity is not really ranging high on the political agenda, this will not really improve the outcomes for biodiversity in terms of policymaking. The report this podcast was grounded in focuses on small and medium-sized enterprises of the food sector. So I asked about the role of these companies, Dr. Janina Graps, political scientist, postdoctoral researcher at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. If we think about mainstreaming things that are already happening, they may also be the opposite and be sort of the pioneers, the front runners. And so what we've seen in Europe, for instance, is that the organic movement has come from really small actors organizing locally and bringing their food to market, not in the big retailers, but really in these smaller stores or on farmers markets and sort of being the vanguard of change and of more inspirational practices. So they can either be sort of this this front runner, but again, we also can see the smaller and medium enterprises sometimes as the ones that are a bit more traditional, a bit more uh, conservative when it comes to adapting to new rules, new practices, and so making sure that uh, we're taking them on board as we're moving towards newer and more um, environmentally sustainable production is really important. Is it enough to use regulations to stop the biodiversity loss on farmed lands? I think regulations are an important step, but they are certainly not the only thing that we need. I think if we really want to change the system, how we are producing food and how we are basically aligning the goals of food production and biodiversity conservation, what we need is a system change. And the system change doesn't just come from policies, but it also comes from society, also including how we are, for example, valuing food. So what price are we willing to pay for 
food that has been produced in a biodiversity-friendly manner. How much value do we attach to it? How do we expect, for example, also if we're going to a restaurant that the food has been produced organically or if we go to the canteen when we are eating at our workplace? Janina, does it matter if the farmers like certain regulations? So can they be more successful? When I talk to farmers, they often tell me that regulations are just obstacles. That's a good point. And I think we need to make a difference between what a policy wants to achieve and the way that it actually does it. I think in the agricultural sector, as in many others, there is a tendency of um, a lot of red tape happening, a lot of bureaucratic measures, the need to keep a lot of books around different practices. And finding smart ways to reduce this red tape and to allow farmers to do what they want to do, which is to farm and finding new ways in which this can be documented better might be a really good way of also then increasing the motivation to do these particular practices, right? So I know that, for instance, if we talk about agri-environmental payments, this is when farmers voluntarily pursue practices that are environmentally beneficial, that may protect biodiversity, such as planting hedgerows or allowing for um, more diverse meadows, for instance. And when we as regulators want to promote those practices and provide payments for them, then there's also the need to document what it has actually been done. And so then sometimes this documentation almost takes over when we really need to focus on what are the outcomes, what are the practices that have been done, why should we do them, and um, Maybe there's a role for technology to bring us closer to a less burdensome and more light-handed way of implementing these types of policies. According to the report, one of the most effective instruments are taxes and payments for ecosystem services, which means that if the farmer does something good for wild animals or wild plants, he gets money. But I feel that it doesn't deeply change the behavior of the farmer. So without the money, the farmer possibly would use another way to manage the land. You're right in that evidence has shown that payments for ecosystem services, very narrowly defined, do have effects only as long as these types of programs last. And especially if it is about a behavior that is only postponed. So for instance, if Farmers are being paid to not deforest in certain circumstances and keep sort of um, forest standing that as soon as the payment runs out, these types of conversion behaviors may continue again. So it is true that short-term programs alone will likely not solve the behavior if we don't simultaneously also change the greater incentive structure as a whole. And I think there is where taxes might be different from these payments for ecosystem services because taxes don't really necessitate an endpoint given that they are not really a burden on the expense of the state, right? So if we create systems that adjust the true cost, the environmental cost of food in a way that makes products that are environmentally harmful more expensive for consumers, but also that make, for instance, environmentally harmful inputs 
more expensive for producers, then this automatically changes sort of the very economic incentive structure that is currently in place of what is most optimal to do from a profit maximization standpoint. And so if then we also allow for phasing out subsidies of products that are actually environmentally harmful, which still exist to a large part in the European agri-food system, and instead re shuffle that money, which is actually quite a long-term payment scheme towards the more environmentally beneficial practices. I think that might be more the way to go to change the economic incentive structure more long-term. And then yes, the motivation to do more environmentally beneficial production might need to follow. But I think Personally, that many farmers have the intrinsic motivation to protect their land and to the best that is possible to also protect biodiversity on their land. I think it is often the case that in today's food system, unfortunately, they feel pushed towards more intensified practices just because they want to survive in it. And so giving them sort of the economic space to do the practices that might be more long-term beneficial would be the solution. It's not a question that farmers should be targeted the most by these policy tools, but uh, the maintenance of the biodiversity of agro-ecosystems, this is not just their responsibility. No, I absolutely agree. I think the dilemma in the food system is that where biodiversity is present is in both the land-based and the water-based systems, right? So then the actors that are closest to those systems will be farmers or fishermen. And so then the question is, how can we all take responsibility as consumers, as actors in the value chain, while also noting that the actions that really matter are the actions of the farmers. And so there's various ways in which we can do this. The easiest is to consistently use demand for more sustainable products and diffuse this demand from the consuming end through the supply chain via retailers, via manufacturers, all the way such that this demand reaches the farmers. But then I think the second component, which we do not talk about enough, is that, of course, the current conventional systems that allow us to get food at very cheap cost they are also creating these external costs onto the environment. And if we as consumers would like to have better biodiversity practices on the ground, we might need to take into account that some of those practices might cost more and thus make the food more expensive. And so Where I personally also see the need is to make sure that actors that are in the middle of the supply chain also provide sufficient support to farmers at the bottom to really implement these types of practices, including economic support. And this includes both that we need to re-educate consumers to a certain extent about the true cost of food and maybe the real cost of sustainable food and increase the demand for products that might be more expensive, such as organic foods, but also that the value that is being paid by the consumer gets passed all the way down to the supply chain. 
and down to the farmer. And depending on the context, it is not always the case, especially if actors in the middle of the value chains are very concentrated. So there's also a responsibility to provide the economic resources down to the the actors that are closest to the agro ecosystems and produce the food. Lisa, do we have enough knowledge on the biodiversity outcomes of these policies? We actually know quite a bit. So I think we actually have a lot of knowledge that we are not using very efficiently yet. And I think there are main two reasons for that. One is that we have a lot of different puzzle pieces in terms of single studies that have been looking at different aspects and different conditions, but we didn't really put them together yet. And I think that needs to be done. So we know, for example, how agricultural practices are influencing biodiversity, and we know which measures farmers like to adopt and which one they don't like to adopt. But then we have this knowledge in different studies and putting this knowledge together, I think is important because only then you will know which measures are the farmers likely to adopt and at the same time are likely to have a positive impact on biodiversity. And the other reason is that biodiversity loss is just not very high on the political agenda. It doesn't have a high priority. So very often what we are seeing is that there's a lot of talk and people are saying, well, we need to conserve biodiversity, but then in the end, not much is happening. And I think the agricultural policy and the current reform of the agricultural policy is a good example for that. Instead of really making an effort to change this and to reduce the loss of biodiversity, there has been only like small changes in some parts and very often not even to the better. And as long as biodiversity is not really ranking high on the political agenda, this is not going to change in the future. So the society, we must push policymakers to place a high value on biodiversity. Yes, I think so. Of course, policymakers, they are being elected. So the power ultimately is with the people, but it's also with the companies. And very often it's very difficult for people also to know what the impact of what they are consuming actually is on nature. So I think it needs changes on different levels, but society certainly can make a big difference here. And what we are seeing currently with the climate debate and the young people standing up against climate change, forcing policymakers to change something and how they are creating their policies. I would love to see something similar for biodiversity. You know, young people actually saying that we need to conserve biodiversity and to have a similar momentum for biodiversity conservation and policymaking. I think this would be great. And I don't think it necessarily needs to contradict the climate change movement. I think there are a lot of synergies and that could come together and need to come together if we really want to leave this trajectory of, of unsustainable production of food that we are currently having. Do you know any good stories about farmer, or farmers or a company who succeeded to build a biodiversity-friendly system with the help of these regulations? I understand that the regulations are not enough alone. One good example is the farmer that was part also of our working group when we developed this report, uh, Vincenza Ferrara from Sicily in Italy. And she has a farm there where she's growing olive trees. And she has been developing a farming scheme where she is applying different measures to the trees to manage pests and especially fruit flies in a biodiversity-friendly way. So instead of using harmful pesticides, what she is doing is pruning these trees in a specific way so that fruit flies do not develop that much. 
She's also using traps, for example, where she's putting rotten fish in those traps, which attract the fruit flies. And therefore, they don't go to the olive trees and they don't affect the olives that much. And I think she has been using the measures that are offered by the European Union in a very effective way to create a very effective and also biodiversity-friendly scheme of production of olives for olive oil specifically. However, she has also been saying that in terms of markets and from a pure economic point of view, it's just very difficult to do these things simply because the market prices are not high enough. So even if you really want to change your system, I think the overall system still needs to change and the market prices need to be adapted and farmers need to be supported if they really want to go into this direction. So I think it needs to have both. You need the spirit of the farmer to change, but also what you need is the system to change to support the farmers to do that. Where do you buy your own food, the food of your family? So the fruits and the vegetables we are actually buying from a farm, which is close by, although in the wintertime they have to also buy additional vegetables and fruits from elsewhere, because simply there is not enough that you can produce in Germany during wintertime. But it's it's basically a farm that is then selling also from other farmers, mainly from Europe, but also from international. And it's all organic. And then they are delivering this in a box actually to our house. And then the milk products and cheese and these things we are buying in an organic store which is also being delivered to our house once a week and then the other thing and i think that's even more important is that we buy seasonal food and as much as possible regionally produced food you were listening to eclipse podcast with Dr. Lisa Bieber Freudenberger, Junior Professor at the Department of Ecology and Natural Resources Management, Center for Development Research, University of Bonn, and Dr. Janina Grabs, Political Scientist, Postdoctoral Researcher at Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. We were talking about a report of Eclipse under the title How Can Environmental Regulators Support Businesses to Improve the Outcomes of Their Operations for Biodiversity with a focus on small and medium-sized enterprises in the food and beverage sector in Europe, which was developed for a request by the Scottish Environment Protection Agency. We make podcasts based on the best knowledge, collected by expert groups, including scientists and other specialists. The vision of Eclipse is to ensure a sustainable future in which decisions affecting biodiversity and ecosystem services are based on a trusted evidence. For more information on Eclipse, consult our website at eclipse.eu, where Eclipse is written with K, and follow us on social media. I'm Eva Banshagi. Until the next episode, stay tuned.